Let's now turn to the scriptures. Uh, actually, I need some, a little bit of help here because the, the wrong scripture has been printed. Deepak, will you start handing those out, that pile right there uh, of uh, papers? Thank you. Um, and so we're looking now, we're moving forward in the book of Mark. Uh, okay, so what we're going to do is, you're gonna, the, the, the actual text is being, is being handed out now. And what is in front of you in the bulletin is where we were last week. And that was the transfiguration, the metamorphosis of Jesus Christ. The metamorphosis of Jesus Christ. So how many of you have had mountaintop experiences? Like just, I don't know, some kind of Bible camp, something you just felt alive and on fire for God. Anybody? Has everybody had these moments? You know, it was like you were ready to live a life surrendered for Jesus Christ. And then you went to school and you were smoking cigarettes in the bathroom. Now, that, that probably wasn't you, that was me. But still, <laughs> you had the moment, you, you know, and then you come down off the mountain and you come into the valley, right? Because every mountain is followed by a valley, just as a geographical fact. So on the other side of mountaintop experiences, there's often a, a harsh, grating encounter with reality, smacking you in the face. That's exactly what happens in the scripture. Time and time again, even in the Old Testament, there are stories of the people in the mountaintop. Uh, Moses has a mountaintop experience, for example, of the presence of God and glory, and he sees his after effects, and then he walks down, and the people of God are having an orgy down in the... Yeah. Well, that's what happens. No, well, not that part, but uh, similarly, the transfiguration, we go from... Christ shining, incandescent and shining, to a, a young boy twisted in torment and frothing at the mouth. So uh, uh, I gave out all those, those passages, and now I don't have one. Um, I need, I th thank you. So uh, let's read this. Uh, how, how does Christ tell us we should, then, let's start here with this, with Christ's own instructions, to how we should heed him and heed the word of God. How does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Uh, uh, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood, and has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, 
if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to you, mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him, terribly it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray in light of that word. Father, um, this scripture can't be discerned by anything but prayer. Indeed, I think, I know, I've seen it. New life can't come by anything but prayer. Preaching doesn't work except by prayer. So we come to you as a people humbled by our need for the Holy Spirit, humbled by our desire to see Jesus, humbled by the ability to call you Father, asking you to be the one who speaks. Forgive the, ones, the sins of the one who speaks, for there are so many. And forgive the, ones, the sins of those who hear. There are so many. And uh, let your Holy Spirit have its way. I pray for that sort of insight and joy and joy and discovery together that brings new life to us. And if some here have not experienced rebirth and conversion, transformation, they'd experience it today or experience the longing to have it. We pray for this in Christ. Amen. You know, I, I, you did notice that I forgot to ask for a whiteboard. And for those of you who guess, whiteboards are very good for me because they keep me kind of focused. And I, they keep me from grabbing people while I'm preaching. And, uh, and so you're forewarned. <laughs> I have full mobility. And uh, I, I could use that microphone, but I can't, I can't stand in front of a microphone for very long without going nuts. All right, so I want us to talk about that. We're going to talk about this text. Now, I'm interested especially in narrative. I'm interested in how, uh, as I've been writing most of my life, and I, I, I love the idea, maybe it was part of being a lit major, understanding the narrative. Like, why? Why the transfiguration? Why the moment of glory and the glorious vision followed by the grit, followed by foaming? You have shining and then foaming. You have, this is my beloved son, says the father. And then you have a father going, can you help my son? You get the parallels? Mark is a very good narrator. He's a very good at presenting to you a narrative structure. You're supposed to compare a desperate father with a father who says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You catch that? It's a wonderful mating, a wonderful trans, it's a wonderful kind of movement from one, uh, a message of astounding hope out of out from the father this is my beloved son to i love my boy and i can't stand to watch him it's wonderful the father actually uses the plural i don't know if you noticed that in that verse he, he says will you help us have compassion on us the father's suffering is what as great as his sons as far, i mean it's there's a wonderful union he's so desperate so why the comparison 
Why the comparison? Why put them together? I think it's, it, it, it does a number of things. And, and I, first I want to look at the text. Then I want to look at some of the theology of what it means to have faith. And then hopefully apply it. So uh, understanding the text first, um, I've already alluded to it. Uh, this story of war, going from glory, going from the mountaintop down to the, down to the grit of life is what is really a little picture of what happens to us all the time, doesn't it? How many of you have noticed that you could be on church on a Sunday morning and you could have some experience of some joy and some, some maybe for a moment you think this is really great and you walk out the door and you're ready to give somebody the finger because they, bumped, they got in front of you on the road. Or you're just full of this rage. Or your wife says something to you, you just want to, you want to tear your hair out. Your husband ignores you for the rest of the day to watch football. And yes, I did notice there's no reception in here. And that's a good thing, so you cannot keep track of the games. Don't try to go out the back and do it. I'll know what you're doing, Johnny. I will know what you are doing. But no sooner, and have you ever noticed this polarity in your life? That there's an ability you have and I have and we have to go from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> to go from worship to anger. To go from a sense of God's intimacy to, to, uh, to, to just worldliness. And this can be very bewildering for us, can't it? And we kind of look at yourself for a moment. You kind of go, what kind of a jerk am I? What kind of a creep am I? What kind of a hypocrite am I? What and I think these stories, if we're going to put it right out there as a narrative, the very first thing it's doing is it's just telling you, the scriptures know what you're like, and they know what life's like. And isn't that a comfort? Isn't that a comfort in the narrative? You've been down the same path. You've been down the same experience. You've been down the same place where you love God one minute and you hate your neighbor the next. And that sort of duality and that sort of double-mindedness that we sometimes experience and that kind of dissonance, you know, where, where there's no harmony in how we live. The scriptures, the narrative, they paint it for you. And, and it's meant to be, we, the, 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 the gospel writer and the apostle in his wisdom is going, yes, it's just like that. It's just like that. It was like that for Jesus. He could have a moment of glory. And do you hear the, do you hear the tenderness? He almost sounds like a doctor. You hear the tenderness and the compassion? How long has this been going on? How long has this been going on? So I think, first of all, it's supposed to encourage you in your experience. The second thing that the narrative does, uh, in a kind of beautiful uh, way, is it connects glory uh, to the grit of life. Um, have you ever heard the expression, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good? He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. Uh, Søren Kierkegaard, in one of his, uh, I, I don't, why can't I remember the book right now, uh, quotes a Danish proverb that things are not in the world the way the preacher preaches. There's a danger and there's a reality that somehow we could disconnect and we can disconnect an experience of glory, an experience of God, an experience of forgiveness, an experience of grace, an experience of his greatness from the grit. You know, like it's not really applicable. And that separation does not exist in the mind of God in the scriptures. And I rejoice in that. I mean, I get excited about it. I, I want to get excited about that because the putting together of this amazing vision of Jesus and his metamorphosis into a transfigured being of pure white, bright, you can barely look at, to a foaming child twisting on the ground in front of his parents. It means that there's no, that God's glory can connect with the hardest things of life. Does that make sense? 
that, we, that there, there, there's a connection there. And God's glory, although it doesn't look as bright when the boy's twisting on the ground, we know what we looked at this, under the surface what's happening. Under the surface what's happening. We know that Christ is still glorious. And there's a place for glory in the deepest sufferings of families. There's a place for God's purpose and love and plan to enter into the most awful scene. And that is the comfort of the narrative of the story. And so you're not supposed to forget what just happened, right? You're supposed to track it. You're supposed to take Christ's glory and the vision of his glory and the meeting with Moses and Elijah and everything it means about Christ, the beloved son who would come and love sinners, and that that love, that glory, that transcendence, that beyond, beyond all space and time comes right down to the grit on a Monday morning when you're in traffic and you've got a boss who doesn't care. And you wonder about your own body and you worry about your kids. And that's a God who is that connected. I want a God connected, don't you? I want a faith and a gospel that connects. Otherwise, what good is it? What use is it? Uh, I need a God who connects with the brokenness that, that I experience in my own life. And this is saying, this is connecting them together. Finally, I want us to notice that uh, beneath the surface, the glory of Christ and satanic forces are at work. So we're not supposed to miss this. There's another story beneath the story. There's another story. There is, so in one sense, that's like we, we don't see it. And faith, and we're going to look at what faith is now as we go into the, the theological kind of uh, part of this story. Uh, but but uh, you're supposed to see this, and Mark wants you to know it. There is a story under the story. And beneath the surface, beneath the surface of Christ, who looks like an ordinary man, there's nothing in his visage that would attract us to him. It's exactly how the scriptures describe it. Nothing, you wouldn't notice, you wouldn't walk by going, man, that guy's a leader. You wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> You would never say, wow, well, he's a looker. He's a, I would have followed. No, he doesn't have that kind of visage. He doesn't have that kind of presence. But beneath the surface, there's another story going on. And the story is between the incandescent beloved son who comes with power across space and time. Moses and Elijah are his counselors. And he's in a battle against demonic presence and the power and ruin of sin and all of the evil of this world. And it's on. It is raging. You know, you know what's amazing? It's raging here this morning now. Listen to how quiet it is in here. Beneath the surface, there are struggles going on. There are struggles for life and death in this room right now where, where evil wants to rob people of truth, the truth of Christ as Savior and Lord and the truth of his redeeming love is being picked out of people's hearts and minds by demonic forces. I, I, I'm just talking about what the scriptures say. The narrative, the story of Mark is that he puts together these, these, these pictures. He puts together these events so that you are forced 
to start thinking differently, to have a different paradigm, right? To have a different vision. And, uh, and, and for your faith to now show you what's beneath the surface, for your faith now to understand the roller coaster, right? Of ups and downs, of, 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 of mountaintop and valley. So to give your faith new insight, new insight, new connection, no longer abstraction, that God's glory is not abstracted from the pain, and, of, the pain of families, the pain of marriages, the pain of children, the pain of suffering. Faith is supposed to. Do you believe? Do you believe? How many of you could say with the man, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, let's take a look at faith then. And it's interesting, this faith, this wonderful text, winds up describing three different kinds or versions of faith. Now, faith can be described as knowledge, assent, and trust. And uh, this is, a, this is a, an old teaching, and it goes back to when I was first being trained, and I remember the first time I was trying to share God's love with people and God's sacrifice on the cross and, and Jesus Christ. To say, and a lot of that stuff that might not mean a lot to you, you might be struggling to understand what the heck I'm talking about. Don't worry about that right now, because you're, you're in the knowledge phase. But there's three different kinds of people in this story. There's people who know things, there's people that have assented, and then there's, people, there's somebody who trusts. Which one are you? Because only one of those three is transformative. Only one of those three brings the power of God, uh, brings all of the power of God for those who believe. For nothing is impossible for those who believe. I mean, an impossible thing can happen today. The revival of your heart. <laughs> an impossible thing can happen. Rebirth. Impossible things. The dead can live. Yes, I said it. Dead hearts come alive. All right. First we have knowledge. This is, the low, this, is the, this is the kind of faith that's all over the South. I spent 15 years in Atlanta, and people know more about God than anywhere else I've ever been in the country and don't know God from a hole in the wall at the same time. Knowledge. What am I talking about? Look here. Uh, do you notice when he comes down that the crowd's running? Uh, it's verse 15. Immediately the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran to him. Uh, and then later, he's about to heal, and he, he could see people are running up. What's going on here? Why are they there? Because they know something's happening, and they know it's Jesus, and he's going to do something cool. They're, I mean, they've got, they, they know. This is the place. Look, they don't have movie theaters. They don't have a Metreon. They're going to go watch the kid rolling around the ground. It's entertainment. It's interesting. And maybe Jesus is going to do something really cool. You, did you hear, you can hear? You can hear the byplay. You can hear the murmur. You can hear the talk. Hey, did you? Hey. That's, hey, if you, we get done for lunch, let's go down and watch Jesus. Because I, I think, actually, his, his, his guys, his gang is down there, and they can't heal this guy. You can't believe it. And, 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 and I think, oh, let's wait and see if Jesus comes. And there's a lot of knowledge, and, and they all know about him, and they're all babbling and talking. And, and, and for there to be a crowd running, you know what that means? It means one, one mom told another mom. She told her kids. And, and like, like all across the villages, like they, it's like a live wire just lit up. And everybody's coming to watch because they know about Jesus. And this is the lowest level. It's not, what, it's not saving faith. It's just where you know something. You just know. But that knowledge has never penetrated. So I, I've, met, I've met people like this all my life who um, being raised, I, mean, I wasn't raised in the church from a young age, but, uh, but as I came to, I many people had been, you know, knew all the stories 
from a young age. But that knowledge, and, and, and somehow they've become deceived by it, that knowledge, they were kind of amazed even. They could be excited. They, they could be up there praising God, but it didn't really, you know, they go and do what they want. It's knowledge that never moves into any action. And that is not saving faith. It is not saving faith. It's not the faith that transforms and gets the vision that Mark's describing where you begin to see below the surface and new life comes into you and you experience the miraculous presence of God. And if it passes for faith in your heart, I'm here to tell you you're mistaken. Because what will happen, with these, you know what these crowds are shouting a week later, don't you? Instead of saying, hey, did you see Jesus? You know, does anybody know what they're shouting just a week or two later after this? We want to see him die. We're not entertained anymore. The final piece of entertainment for them is what? We get to watch a hanging, a lynching. We get to watch a man get killed. That's, that's exciting stuff. Their thirst is merely for knowledge and experience. Is that you? What's the second? Ascent. Well, the second uh, place of ignorance that here we should see in the text is, is the uh, come and, and, and Christ, uh, does, in verse 19 there, he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Who is he talking to? O faithless generation, who is he talking to? Why is he upset? Because his followers, he's talking to his followers. He's talking to his, he's talking to his disciples because they're the ones who failed. Maybe in some way he's alluding to the, to what he knows, he knows that crowd. He knows they're just there to be, to, to, to know, and, 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 and there's nothing more exciting than knowing what's going on and being the inside person. And he knows what they're doing. And then, but his own men, the men he's walked with and have given up their lives, he's been with them for years. And they have said, yes, we agree with you. Yes, you're the Messiah. They just said that. Yes, you are the Christ. Yes, we will give up everything. Yes, it was all yes and yes, but it's merely what? Head nodding. I remember, um, uh, I, I'm trying to, we have some nodders here. I can't remember who they are. I'm not going to point you out because that's not nice. But uh, one of my, uh, one of my, uh, one leader I had in a church one time, I, I, I'd never been around a person who nods a lot. And I didn't realize that did not mean he agreed with me. I thought he agreed with me in a meeting. And I'd see him nodding. And all that meant was he's listening. And he'd nod and then he was listening. And then I come to find out he didn't agree with anything I was saying at all. He was on a completely different page, thinking of completely different things. And he, but he, has anybody ever talked to anybody like that? They just nod a lot. Don't nod. That's not going to work. Stop nodding. Uh, so, no, but you know, it's the, it's the person who simply gives, who actually does move towards some sort of, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. Sure. Sure. But it has no power. can't do anything. It's empty. Now we're talking about a large portion, not just of like a southern culture, for example, but now we're starting to talk about whole sections of churches. There is no safety in your religiosity or religious exercise. There's no safety in that. From what? Merely faith as a sentence. Are you a nodder? Yeah, I agree with Chris. But you have no power. 
You don't experience God at a fundamental level. And you have not yet had the ca been captured by the imagination of the cross and a place where the Prince of Glory dies. And where the Son says, yes, the Father says, yes, that is my Son. And his sacrifice for sin atones. And where, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Where you are actually now a, a man or a woman of joy, or you have experienced the new life. I, we're talking about something different now. And the disciples don't have it yet. Because what's the final thing? It's what? Trust. And this trust can be as filled and riddled with doubt as a man who goes, I believe, help my I've got, I'm so, and this, is, this was the last person of trust. Um, the last person of trust is the one who actually rests. And uh, this is an old one, but it's an oldie but a goodie. And uh, I could say, I, I, I believe that church, uh, that's, that seat will help to hold me. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I can talk about believing it the whole time I'm standing here. And then I can even assent to it and say, hey, I encourage other people to sit in it. In fact, I'm going to set it out here for other people to sit in. I have so much trust in it. I have so much confidence as I say assent, but I don't truly trust until, until, un, oh, not yet, no. Some of you are doing this too with God. I know you're doing this. Yeah, oh, no, 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 not yet, Chris. Uh, well, no, well, no, maybe, maybe uh, yeah, yeah. What is trust? It's complete reliance on Christ and his sacrifice for sin as a Savior. It's a complete trust in him. It has moved beyond knowledge and assent to surrender. That's, that's what the man has. And that's what I want. It's what I want for you. We'll get you there. I want to talk about two things that are here in the text. Desperation <laughs> will get you there. Get you where? Faith is not about faith. Um, many of you are going to be tempted to oomph it up, right? Has, have any of you tried to feel more faith? Oh. Have you ever seen a worship leader trying to feel more faith? Yeah. Uh, Peter and Adele don't do this, but you'll get that, that earnest kind of like concentration look like it almost looks a little bit like constipation. And, <laughs> and they're, gonna try, they're trying to feel and look like they have faith or experiencing faith. You know what I'm talking about? And, what, and sometimes we've been tempted to have faith in faith. If I can have more faith... I'll, I'll, no, 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 no. It's not the strength of your faith that makes it powerful. It is what your faith is in, the object of your faith. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And that's why there's the exhortation to prayer. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You can have the faith of a tiny, tiny dust mote flying around the air. And in your desperation, put your eyes on Jesus as the author, finisher, and perfecter of your faith. Whose death on the cross and that, and that death, your eyes on that. And that has power. It's interesting that, you know, Christ isn't present and the disciples are frustrated. This is supposed to be a story that's for us thousands of years later. We don't see Christ now in his ascended ministry. He is transfigured right now. He is in radiant glory as I, as I speak. We don't perceive him. And many of us look at this generation in this time, look at the problems of San Francisco, and it's like that boy writhing on the floor. You know, we, it's terrifying to us. We're like, what do we do? How do we cast it out? We don't have power. And when Christ says, we'll look at this next week about prayer, when Christ says, 
This kind only comes out by prayer. He is telling those men to fix their thoughts, their hearts, their trust, their surrender on who? On him. And that's why he's so frustrated. That's why he says, oh, believe, unbelieve. You guys don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. You've been with me so long and you still are just completely out there that all you had to do was turn to me. Even if I wasn't here, I'm still here with power for those who believe. It's all possible because of faith. It's all present. Christ incandescent is present for his people today, now in this place. Praise him. What shall we do with this now? First and foremost, um, I one of the one of the uh, one of the things that I want to encourage about is what faith really is in terms of surrender. Um, if you are trying to be perform for God, I had a good chance to talk about this this week. Then you have not understood grace and its riches. I remember sitting in an office many years ago, and a doctor, Jewish doctor. He was telling me about, we were talking about faith, and he said, oh, I've looked into Christianity, and he's very, very successful, and he said, I just think it's a shame that you need a crutch. And I'm sitting there, for some reason, I'd never heard that before. You know, everybody has to experience something new for the first time. I've heard it like a thousand times, but back then, I'd never heard it before. And I was sitting in his office, and I was kind of like, I felt like my faith was going to fall over. I'm like, just slack-jawed. I'd never heard that before. And now I'm quite ready for word to say to that. Because if he was sitting in front of me now, I would say, I'm sorry you misunderstood me. Uh, my faith is not a crutch. It's a gurney. It's a stretcher. It's not something that's helping me along. It's carrying me. <laughs> I'm not in need of some assistance. I'm in need of being carried. <laughs> Completely. I need everything. So I want you to learn and begin to wander faith that is so desperate, will desperately come and surrender all that you have, all that you are in this moment to Christ. And as a believer, some of you walk with Christ for a long time, you need to return to this moment because at this moment, at this place, and at this place, you're going to move again from being, even us as believers, we get into knowledge phases or descent phases and we just, we're living life as best we can and we're not living where? In trust. Some of you, it's going to have to be the first time you really trust Jesus with your life and heart. We need to become a people of faith. Two, Back in Mark 6, they were able to cast out demons. Here we are in Mark 9, and they can't. What's going on? I want to encourage you about something. Past victories are not equal to present power in God. And some of us are riding on something we did before. This is very tempting when you get to be older. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, well, I was back in ministry back here. I did so. You probably heard me talk like this, Steve. Back in, back in ministry, I'm like, oh, I did this, and I did that. And, I, and, and, we, and what we do is we equate the fact that we had some sort of victory with God back in the past with, oh, we're going to have it now, right? Or like, and, and, and like, just like, because we're victorious, because we've been successful, we're going to be successful. And it's not about that. It isn't about you riding laurels and riding forward. From, and, 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 and let's face it, our band camp experience, band camp, why do you think of band camp? Bible camp. <laughs> that was a weird segue. Bible camp experiences. 
our Bible camp experiences or whatever we had, whenever we came to Christ, we, we got rattled when all that passion was gone later, right? We got rattled by how it didn't continue, right? We got rattled that, well, it's always like that because it's not about the experience, it's about Jesus. It's about having him in your mind and imagination and joy again and again and again. You see, it's not, we're, gonna, we're all tempted to do this. We're all tempted to look back at some point where we really are faithful and think that that has some sort of inertia. Does that make sense? And we're kind of riding it, and I'm riding the glory train here. This is why a lot of ministries start off beautifully and then torpedo, and we'll take a left turn, and we'll somehow fall apart. You know why? They're not continually seeking Jesus. They're just riding the inertia of being the hot new church and the hot shot disciples who all of a sudden hits, hit a wall because it's not about Jesus anymore. It's about being an exorcist and having the power. And it goes. Let's not become that, because it's going to be a temptation for us as a church as we grow to somehow do, just hope that the inertia will carry us and not a continual trusting approach to the throne. And that's why every, every week we enact out uh, repentance and faith and glory, and every week, we get hold of grace, and we say, I would grace again, and by the way, I want it again, and by the way, can I have it again, please? And yes, please, can I have some more? <laughs> and like every week, we are applying the sermon immediately, saying, yes, it is all of Christ, I need Christ, and the fact that I communed a week ago is irrelevant, because I need him today, <laughs> and I want to fix him in my heart today. I want to have him again today. And that this is the way to live the Christian life, and to live it actively and fully, and to stop depending on something from the past. Finally, too, um, as we live beneath the surface, um, I want to rejoice in a weird way. I want to rejoice in our failures. Um, that's kind of the, one of the things I suspect people would ask me about this text is, okay, Chris, where are the miracles today? Now, I'll tell you, I think I've seen them. I've seen amazing things happen. You might say, oh, that's coincidence, or have some other alternative explanation that satisfies your, your uh, shallow materialism. Yes, I did say that. Uh, that's fine. We'll talk about it. Uh, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm, just, I'm trying to be real, with, uh, real about it. That's what it was when I, when I fought it. But why, why do we fail so much? Why don't, why don't miracles happen? Like all the time, Chris. I think our Father, I think Jesus is slowly, systematically, by his spirit, frustrating the church of this generation. Because it's not just about him and his glory. It's about techniques and you know, and numbers and money and strategies to reach the culture. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying they only work when your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And God is going to continue to present you with failures, failures in life and marriage, failures in your work, failures in your own heart, failures to see his greatness and glory. And what's he doing? Why is he doing? Why would he frustrate his disciples like this so that they are, they're kind of, it must have been a little bit embarrassing, right? They're arguing with the scribes and, and, you know, and they're kind of looking at everybody's like, oh, look, you know, and of course the theater's going on for oh, all, the, all the onlookers because the little kid is just, it's going, you know, is, 
It's just a, it's a kind of a sad scene. And, and what, what Christ does is, and I want you to be encouraged by this, he will set it up so that you will continue to fail until you turn to him. And that's him being loving to you. Don't be discouraged. Because what's he doing? All those lights in the hospital, Sarah. What's he doing? What's he doing over time? He, he slowly, and, and by the way, it's taken me many years. I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm a really slow study, right? It's taken me many years to all this fear to kind of go, oh, I should look, just let me look at Jesus. This kind only comes up by prayer. And I want you to see, maybe for the first time, by eyes of faith, that the reason God is allowing you to be so frustrated is he's allowing good failure, this is a good form of failure, to fix your thoughts, hearts, imagination, and life, and trust on Jesus. And I'm going to praise him for it. I'm going to praise him for it. I'm going to praise him for it. For I have failed, I think, more than all of you. <laughs> and I'm going to praise him for it. Amen. Let's pray. I love you, Father. I thank you for your word. I hope it had some power with us to bring us to, to new life. We, uh, I pray for the, the journey some of us are on, from just knowing things and assenting to them to trust. Father, we don't want to be members of the crowd, just amazed and running around. And we don't want to be clueless and witless like the disciples. We ask that as you've introduced good failure into our lives, we come to you desperately desperate men and women, desperate with, with uh, sin and shame and guilt, and then loved and transformed by the word of your Son, by the life of your Son, by the blood of your Son. Father, teach us to train our hearts and our minds and our faith to fix on your Son, to fix on Jesus. I pray this word would have power with us this week. I pray your glory would enter the grit of our lives and we would see below the surface together. Pray for faith as we come to the table now. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Savior took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. This is the cup of the covenant. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. He said, take and drink. Do this and remember me, he said. This is a table of faith for those who have faith. Even the faith of, I believe, help my unbelief. This is your table. You enter into God's promise when you say that, even with doubt. We're going to talk more about doubt and prayer next week, but but I want to encourage you to come to the table if you're full of doubt even, but your faith is in Christ. So sinners are welcome to the table. We're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. That is the that is the, that concise statement of faith coming from the earliest church after the New Testament. And we read it together as a statement of faith. And I ask that you consent to believing these things as uh, true and uh, as, as uh, factual events of history, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's what this table, uh, and that table is for you if you acknowledge yourself to be what? A sinner who needs a Savior. Help me, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm. There's so much in that. 
It's really weird. My mom's been saying that a lot lately. As she's gotten sick, she's getting older, in her mid-70s. She starts, she talks to me on the phone, she says, I just keep saying, I believe, help my unbelief. That's who this table is for. Come and get grace then, and fix your thoughts on Christ. But I will warn you, I'm going to warn sternly uh, one group. If you think you're a good woman, if you think you're a good man, if you think that by your performance and work and duty, you have eternal life and you know our Savior, then I want to encourage you that you don't need this table. It won't work for you. Because grace is only for sinners. It's not for good people. And I think you're forbidden from the table if you think you're a good man or a good woman. You're not worthy of it. Finally, if you're a skeptic, you're sitting there going, yeah, kind of. Maybe you're like hovering over the chair a little bit. Eh, I don't know. You know. Sometimes I want to believe, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think it's a waste of time. Sometimes I think you're crazy. I, I get that. You're not the first person to think I'm crazy. If you're a skeptic and you don't believe, I invite you to watch us, witness this with us, observe it, respect it, and I'm hoping someday you'll join us because you want what we have. You'll be envious, knowing God this way and knowing forgiveness this way. All right, so functionally, what are we going to do? We're going to come forward, and the, the small cups are wine. These larger cups are grape juice, the larger 12 back here. You get, get, uh, get some, uh, um, um, Luke, will you come up and hold the, hold the bread, please? Luke will be holding the bread, and for those who, when they, you come forward, get the, get the bread, and uh, these are gluten-free, I believe, gluten-free wafers. Uh, this is San Francisco, and Jesus is gluten-free here. Uh, and get the wine, we'll go back to our seats, and, uh, and we'll all take, we'll standing and singing at that point, after we've been to the, the Apostles' Creed, and uh, we will take and eat together, and we'll be done practically, we're going to have a all the benediction and the doxology. Um, so we've come forward to do this. It should be fairly easy and self-explanatory. I'm going to be over here with, um, I'm going to take Elena. Elena. Elena's going to help me do this. Elena and I will be praying together with families. Uh, anybody who has kids. Maybe we don't have any kids today. I need today. Or if you just want prayer. We have two? Oh, they're coming. So um, we're going to pray with children. And if you want prayer this morning for some reason, Elaine and I will pray with you. All right, so let's please stand. I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.